Hey folks, this is Ian Foster, and this is If and When, a podcast where I talk to other creators about how and why they do their thing. To start, I'm talking to colleagues, friends, and veterans of the arts community at home here in Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada. These are not so much traditional interviews as they're a chat over coffee or something a little stronger. So come sit in and have a listen. Hey, hey, thanks for tuning in again. Thanks for listening to If and When. Here we are, nearing the end of October. And guess what? I'll say it here. We have a kitten. So I feel we've had it for a month, but I feel like I can finally mention it here because I posted to Facebook. So the secret's out. Her name is Evelyn. She's a Siamese cat. She follows me around. She plays fetch. Um, she's okay on a leash. I'm not kidding. I'm thinking about being that guy. The guy who goes out and walks his Siamese cat downtown. I don't know. I feel like that's a line that if I cross, I'll never be able to come back from that line. I don't know what that life looks like on the other side, but that could be me. I could be the dude walking his Siamese cat downtown anyway she's really cute i like having her around she talks to me all day and i talk back to her and then she talks some more it's cool what else is going on with me well we're just days away from the mary walsh live episode at the rooms it is free with the price of admission at the rooms so which is not very much So you can totally come take in this show, hear me and Mary talk about all things Mary Walsh and be part of the very first live episode. I would love for you to be there if you're in the St. John's area to just come check out this show. 2 p.m. Saturday, October 20th. We are in full Christmas mode prep now, Nancy and I. We announced the tour. Tickets are now on sale at all venues, either through online Eventbrite if you're thinking about St. John's at individual venues in Ontario and New Brunswick, if you're thinking about those shows, and at the local venues, all details up on ianfoster.ca, at all these churches across Newfoundland that we have never played before and that we're nervous about but excited about because we want to go back to some of these towns or to some of the towns for the first time and play our songs and classic Christmas songs for you. Tour starts November 27th in Ontario, tour in Newfoundland starts December 12th at St. Mark's and St. John's and goes till December 20th. Come out, have some fun with us. We would love that. And please buy your tickets in advance. It helps us. We get excited to see you. Today on the podcast, Christina Martin, my good friend. So funny story, Christina was one of the first artists I ever played with on the road. I found her on MySpace. Remember MySpace? I was touring in Nova Scotia, I got on MySpace, I found her music, I really enjoyed it, I wrote her a message through MySpace and said, I like your music, would you play a show with me if you like my music? She said, I like your music, let's do a show. We played at a couple of different venues there, one of which burned down the night after we left. You'll hear about that in the podcast, make your own judgments whether that was us or not, it wasn't. Anyway... She's a cool, cool girl, and she's out on the road and has been ever since those early days that we played shows together, and she's been playing across 
Europe and across the States and across Canada. She's done it all. She's the real deal. And we had a really great chat, very open, very, um, very real about the specifics of what it takes to be a musician, the stuff that people don't see. And at the end of it all, at the other side, as I've learned time and again, is gratitude. Hopefully, if you haven't found it, you will. If you found it and lost it, you find it again. That's just sort of how it works. And there's so much more in here. So without further ado, part one of my conversation with Christina Martin. I honestly, I looked up to see the, a sign that said dildo. And, it's important now, uh, at can, Jimmy Kimmel. That's right, yeah. It's, uh, I thought it was an important landmark before Jimmy, but apparently now it's like world, like explode. Like, this is gonna be good for tourism? Yeah, well, they always had a captain. There was always Captain Dildo. Captain Dildo, which that's is Dale's like... nickname. Wow. <laughs> that <laughs> is... <laughs> He's in the room. Actually, Captain Dildo is yeah. with us now. That's right. You get a picture with Captain Dildo if you go visit. Yeah. Seriously, it's true. I was going to make a joke about Captain Dildo sitting in my lap, but he's over across the room, and if he talks loud enough, we might be able to hear him. Where were, What were we talking about? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. um, that's the point of this podcast as well. Yeah. I'm going to cool. adjust my own levels here a little. Well, we might include all that, but if we don't, mm. I will say, hi, Christina. Hi, Ian. It's great to be here. Your first non-Newfoundland guest. It's true. It's true. Mm. And you're doing, you're, I'm sorry, I can't take it seriously. I've known you so long. I, yeah. I thought we were going to get all formal, but there's no, you know. We don't, no, we don't need to do that. This that's is, fine. Like, tell us about how, tell us about the beginning. Bring us back. Who's doing the talking and the interviewing here? <laughs> who's, who's steering the ship? <laughs> So um, we have known each other a long time. We've known each other since um, MySpace. MySpace. Yes. I, do you still have... Is that a still in existence? I think it is. MySpace is an... And I have not met anyone who has been on MySpace in over a decade at least. Yeah, I, I don't know when the last time I logged on. I think maybe 2008, actually. Right. Is it like big in Japan? Like some bands? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, let's... I'm going to go and find out later. Like, it's still, you can go to the URL, but who's on it, I don't know. Would I still have, like, my page up? I wonder. I, I think I canceled mine. I think once it started to become, like, once I started to maybe uh, take, like, the business side of things seriously, I think maybe I realized this is not, I think I was concerned with how I might be viewed if I was still on MySpace and I deleted my account and switched over to all the other accounts. <laughs> I feel like I just had a new podcast idea of what if for the episode we just went to people's old social media like MySpace and just reviewed mm. now what that would be like. Like imagine scrolling through your wall. Like what yeah. kind of fan comments from 2008 Christina would be there? Or well, you'd, fan I music. guess, hey, Christina. Like I don't think mine would have been that interesting. What was on the page? Like a photo you had a player with your music. That was great. Like, it was a great tool for a little while, right? Because yeah. what happened to me was I was booking my first tour ever, mm. and I wanted to go to Nova Scotia, and it seemed like a good idea in 2000-whatever, seven, yeah. to, like, look up other acts and listen to their music and go, I like this girl. She's got cool songs. And then write you a message and say, I like your music. Would you like to do a show together? And mm -hmm. you said, yes, we can do that. And if you need a place to stay, wow. you can stay at my house. And... 
And I've never forgotten that. And it is indicative of the type of person you are. And I is that's that nice. that's why we're here today in your in your studio? This yeah. is really cool. It was great for networking. My our friend, do you remember Matt Epp? Were you yeah, friends yeah. with Matt Epp? So yep. he was like you. I think you were really good at that networking. Still are. Um, and he, I remember he had a photo of like his eyeball. That was his like profile shot and uh orphan horse his first record was on his myspace anyway he was um very um very good about reaching out with uh, musicians that way i met him that way through myspace he came to halifax stayed with me um and yeah so i guess it was good for for connect connecting yeah us and and i'm glad we met and our first show would have been in halifax at the North, North End, End Pub, and boy, we burn that we place did. down. Oh boy, there's we're, <laughs> literally. We, we wish we were joking, and I I don't mean to laugh. Uh, it was quite traumatic at the time. So it was literally that that night. I think we we did the show. I remember not many people showed up, and they gave us a lot of beer tickets. Like so, I've never seen like fifty beer tickets. I don't even know why we needed tickets. There was no one else in the Bar. Right. Yeah. Just us. Who are you separating us from? <laughs> yeah. With the tickets. What, yeah. Why? Yeah. What? what do you get? Anyway, someone is anyone really keeping track of this? And then we left, and I think it was the next day we found out, or a couple of days later, that you know that it had completely burned down, like wow. the, like to the ground. Right. And I went on, you know, I went on somewhere else, and yeah. then you were like, "Do you remember that? Like, you sent me a message <laughs> to let me know." <laughs> that I just left that place behind in the ashes yeah. on my tour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you think they knew it was going to happen and they were like, we got to get rid of these beer tickets. We got 50 left. That's maybe that was going Let's on. Just, uh... Holy. This could be like um, one of those crime podcasts turned into like we're solving a crime. So here's what I think happened next. Or um, the other thing is Dale and I played a venue in Montreal called, I think it was called The Green The Green Room. And very similar thing. The next that night, the place caught on fire and closed. And so, uh, I'm saying this because I think that I might be the problem. You're the fire starter. Yeah. Yeah. It's never yeah. happened that we know of, like that we've heard of again. Um, yeah. Maybe we just solved that mystery. Who started the fire? Well, we did. <laughs> I did. Oh, uh, I love this already. Okay, let's. Let's go back, though, just because... Uh, further? Like, oh. further than that. Like, tell me, I want to know, I know a lot about you, but, like, yeah. let's let's put some structure to this. Okay. I've, I've thought of no questions, by the way. This is just... That's I've cool. prepared not at all. Yeah, I'm um, up for anything you want to ask. If you want to interject, I'm an open book. Cool. Cool. So where were you born? Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Cool. I didn't know that. There you go. Uh, yeah, my... my parents uh were living there for a couple years had my brother and i and then my both my parents are from new brunswick originally uh a place called saint leonard new brunswick Mm -hmm. and uh so we ended up moving back to new brunswick i grew up in that in the province um so i was like eight months old when we left florida so i i don't have like fond memories of growing up on white sandy beaches or anything but yeah right have you been back there like from a touring perspective or anything or no not really like we would make family trips down there um and then like my brother lives in in florida now uh i i kind of i took off when i was 19 and and used my 
my citizenship to my advantage, and uh, that's how I ended up in Austin, Texas. So had I not had the dual citizenship, that probably wouldn't have happened, and I, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you about what we're going to talk about, which could involve music. Yeah. Um, so that was, uh, you know, like a pivotal time, I suppose. Uh, I didn't know Austin was the live music capital of North America. I went to get away from things and, and try to figure shit out and ended up in a pretty amazing place for, you know, if you were uh, someone who, well, wanted to be a songwriter or a creative uh, person. I didn't even know I wanted to be a songwriter. I didn't at the time. Right. Or for many years. Paint me a picture about uh, that. Like, what was little Christina like? Well, little Christina <laughs> was... Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I have like, there's these windows of time that I can, I remember things and I have like really fond memories from childhood. Um, and then I have some trauma from childhood. And so, I mean, I remember little, little Christina being pretty feisty and, um, you know, you couldn't really tell me what to do. I had a mind of my own and, um, I remember I, 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 you know, I loved, I loved music and, uh, like a lot of people, but like, I, I was like a lot of kids, I suppose, would lock themselves in their room or close the door and, and try to memorize, like record, record a song on the radio or wait for a song that I'd heard and hope that it would show up again. Uh, so I could hit record in the cassette recorder and then play it obsessively and learn all the, all the lyrics and act it out and, um, Do you remember yeah. like a specific one that like? Sticks? Yes, going on, uh, going on up to the spirit in the sky. Oh yeah. Um, Vincent by Don McLean. That was one that I didn't know it was Don McLean, but I, I, I memorized. I, I, I might have been like maybe around five or six or seven even, and there was a song, Starry, Starry, Starry Night. Um, you know, paint your palette blue and gray. Look out on the summer. Like I memorized it all, and then you had such cooler songs than me. Like mine was <laughs> oh, like serious? Ace of Base. Oh well. Like oh, how old are you? I I'm mean, thirty-seven. I, okay, well. How old are we talking Ace, here? Yeah, are Ace we comparing ages? Ace of Base would have come in like when I was like a teenager. Okay. I would have discovered late. I right. think I discovered a lot of things late. Sure. Um, this is like preteen. Okay. Is that what this you're is, talking about? This is, is that... like uh, six, seven years old. Oh my god. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And still listen to Don um, McLean. Good for you. Well, it was on the radio, and I lo- I just was so fascinated by this song, uh, Vincent. And right. I remember, fast forward, uh, you know, to like, do you remember, uh, what's the name of that company? You'd bulk, you would pay a penny and like... Columbia House. Yeah, Columbia House. So yeah. I did that, signed up for Columbia House, and the first like 10 or 13 or 20 CDs you would get, um, I... I I picked this Don McLean's greatest hits because I also knew the song American Pie, and that's when I played that CD. I I was floored that the song was on there. This song from my you know really young childhood, uh, uh, called Vincent, and uh, and it was I knew all the words. Like it was just so funny. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, my dad uh, worked from home, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And uh, when we moved around a couple times, and my dad w- was getting into some uh, trouble with finances, and I think he had some other uh, issues going on. And and eventually, uh, when I was eleven, uh, he disappeared in the middle of the night 
And that was weird because when you grow up with both your parents home most of the time, um, you know, for him to suddenly be really gone and we didn't know, had no contact with him. Mm. And uh, uh, that that w- that definitely was a very traumatic um, experience. Of course. Um, I had another trauma with my dad when I was much younger, but I stood up to him and uh, it never happened again. And so, you know, there was some of that also that you, you push it down and you do, really don't think about it. No one knows how to talk about it. Um, and and then dad leaving and then my mom having to kind of pick up the slack and uh, go back to work. And we had to move suddenly to another place and uh, uh, leave our schools. And, um, you know, we, we did the best we could. And my mom did a fantastic job at relocating us and like making sure we were taken care of. And, but I I can't deny that, uh, having, you know, dad gone and, uh, eventually we knew where he was, but we weren't allowed to tell anybody. Hmm. And there were all these stories that were lies that we didn't know were lies at the time, but we, um, we, the the kids were basically supposed to kind of keep this secret. Um, you know, dad's on a business trip and, and, so I think that in there was that 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 was going on in the background, and uh, home life was uh, uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and mom was doing the best she could, and I just threw myself into school and anything I could do at school to excel and you know impress my teachers like made me feel good, right? Um, and I had good friends, really good girlfriends and their families, and my mom certainly um, did the best she could and. And that's uh, and was music yeah. weaving its way through all of this, other than beyond the radio, or had you like picked up an instrument yet, or anything? I like hadn't. That? I well, I was in piano and did recitals for a while, but it, I, I definitely uh, struggled with uh, performance anxiety, and I wanted to learn rock and roll. And I had a new teacher um, uh, when we moved. Uh, at one point, we moved from Fredericton to Rothsay, and my first teacher. Half the lesson was classical and theory, and then the next half, we would go into her synthesizer room, and I could play rock and roll and, and just have fun, and I loved it so much, and I, I kind of, I think at that time, I dreamed of being in a band like my teacher, you know? She was a wonderful instructor and, and fun and young, and um, and then when we moved, I had a new teacher, and it was very different and uh, more structured, and I didn't really feel like I had a choice of what I could focus on or learn and I quit out of defiance I I was not enjoying it and um and so that was kind of the end of like music lessons for me I think I would have been about nine or so Mm -hmm. um but I do remember being very young and writing music not Mm. not singing uh or writing lyrics at that time but music I would just make up stuff Mm. and yeah but I I that I think there was this time around then too, I was really becoming more defiant in at home. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to give my parents the satisfaction of um, of continuing with my music because to them, they put so much emphasis on you need to practice and a lot of pressure was on me, not my brother who also was in piano. And I just was like, you know, fuck this. I'm mm. not going to give you this. I don't want you to hear me. Like I would... I would sing in my room with the door closed and and dance, and I didn't want I wouldn't want to do that for them. This was something for me. Mm. Um, so I just kind of gave it up altogether because people were around in the house, and I didn't want to share that that joy with them or anyone. You know, it became 
music, listening to music became my, my private um, thing, a retreat for sure. So, I, I mean, like a lot of people, I, I guess I, I turned to music uh, just as a way to have some kind of a relief or uh, find a, some kind of way to connect with the outside world, you know, and to feel things. Yeah. But in, but in my day-to-day for, you know, the next eight years or so as a teenager into young adulthood, um, I just, yeah, threw myself into school and sports and my friends and yeah, yeah. did typical teenage things and tried to do really good in school and sure student council that kind of thing but what what were you playing during that time like was it were you writing anything was it all instrumental was it like just the hits on the radio i think a lot of it was i was getting a lot from the radio um and then i can't remember exactly what age it would have been but uh, music videos i I was very much obsessed with music videos i guess it would, would have been much music um, at the time. And so I would rush home from school and, uh, my father, uh, he was obsessive about recording movies on VHS tapes. So we always had VHS tapes around Mm -hmm. the house. Mm -hmm. So I would be ready for when the music videos would come on. Um, and I'd hit record and I would, I would catalog the ones that I loved and watch them over and over and over. So like David Bowie, Tori Amos, um, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, um, the Eurythmics, like I was a huge Eurythmics fan when I was a young teenager. Um, Such a golden age of videos. Yeah, you know really what I mean? cool. Yeah. And and I've talked about this with another director who is here, but like so many of our directors now, like David Fincher and those guys, cut their teeth on music videos. Like he did George Michael's Freedom mm-hmm. and like Don Henley's End of the Innocence. Like all mm-hmm, these videos that you'd be like, the guy who made Seven did George Michael's Freedom, you know? But mm-hmm. like that's how he learned how to blow up a jukebox i guess i don't know uh, yeah yeah <laughs> but i mean it was the budgets were there right so the directors could mm-hmm. like make a short film in like three minutes yeah super cool or seven it was which was the case with tom petting the heartbreakers and uh what was the name of the song that he, they did with um dave stewart had produced an album for them and they did this epic i think johnny depp was in the they told this whole storyline and i can't yeah into the very wide open yeah yeah um, Remember Kim Basinger being in mm-hmm, being mm-hmm. in Last Dance with Mary Jane? Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So and uh, you know it's funny going. I really one of the things I love about what we do is, um, or what I feel really lucky that I've been able to make a couple with some great filmmakers. Like, uh, and that was always a dream of mine, like to be able to make a music video. And uh, I do find it like now the budgets are so different. Like when I started out in 2008, really kind of giving it a go with the business, we had a one of the last really, um, uh, was it a much fact grant? Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was like $25,000. Yeah. Which really at the time wasn't even that much. No. But that was a lot for me. Yeah. And it was all, it all went to the production team and they did a video called Two Hearts and it got to number four on the Much Music uh, Countdown. And that was in 2008. And, uh, like, we just, I don't have, I mean, if I have 500 you know, to $3,000, like, you know, that's that's it. Like, I mean, I that's a lot still. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of sad, you know, because those music, a lot of, you can make a really beautiful music video, you know, with less, but 
it sure was fun. Like with two hearts, I remember having a two day crew and like yep. we had, we're able to hire actors and makeup and, uh, well, I think this is a really weird cross section or crossroads we're at right now is that like, so comparatively like the gear in 2008 mm-hmm. versus the gear now could be slightly similar potentially. Right. Because mm-hmm. it just used to be just like in recording, like, uh, just like in music, I should say, uh, film gear has, become much cheaper for amazing quality and in Mm -hmm. a way that's a wonderful artistic thing now like the the avenues are open it's more about your imagination because you can achieve things Mm -hmm. on your own or in smaller crews that can work quickly that's all great Mm -hmm. but like when you're describing a two-day shoot you're talking not about the gear you're talking about like paying people for their time which is like that to me seems like the biggest challenge we're all facing right now is how do we reconcile like the kind of like amazing utopia of being able to have amazing gear around us yeah. all the time with actually getting paid for what we're trying to do as artists, you know? Yeah. Love to hear your thoughts on that. Cause you make records at home with Dale Murray. Yeah. And, um, I hope I can speak to what you're exactly what you're talking about, but I think, uh, you know, the time now, like in so many ways we, I feel like I'm able to do what I'm doing because things have changed so much and, um, you know, the, just, it's just more, it's, it is easier to do a lot of things more easy than it maybe, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and with the studio, especially, I mean, we do a lot of our records apart from hiring, you know, uh, other musicians that do, you know, play certain instruments, um, we do it all in house, and um, the budgets are usually, you know, pretty reasonable. And if for some reason, uh, I'm very lucky. I work with my my partner, my best friend, Dale Murray, in our home studio a lot of the times. Although we're talking about uh, working outside of our studio for uh, potentially for the next record, just to shake things up a bit. Um, mm. But uh, it's yeah, we're, we're, we're lucky that we're not relying on like, like we're, we're just, we're broke all the time. Like, I mean, just, I mean, I, I just can't imagine what it would be like, uh, to have to come up with $20,000 to make a record or even $10,000. Um, you know, and then there's all the other expenses. It's just got, it's just, yeah. So we're, we're just we're we're able to do a lot more with less, but then uh, on the other hand, like we're all struggling to make a living, make ends meet, going into debt. I mean, I carry quite a bit of debt, mm-hmm. um, and I really wish like I just worked on three videos with a wonderful talent uh, uh, named uh, Nicole. Uh, Cecil uh, or Cecil? No, it's Cecil uh, Holland. <laughs> God, I'm sorry, Nicole. Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working with a a wonderful talent named Nicole Cecil Holland, and we did three videos. Uh, We actually did another Christmas. We just shot a Christmas video, and, um, you know, I don't don't have very big budgets for these, and I wish I could just have a little more for her to get a little more creative and to bring in an art department, you know, perhaps, or, like, to, to hire the makeup person, like, people who do this for a profession and are looking for work. Yeah. And, uh... I just, I remember growing up, like, watching these music videos and, um, you know, like, 
some of the songs, like I don't even know. Sometimes a music video, a visual, if you're, can really, uh, it impacts like how your how you hear a song. Uh, some of these songs may not have, you know, like become popular uh, to me or to other people had they not have a, a visual attached to them. It's just mm -hmm. uh, I'm very much like someone who likes to see. Um, and it just further consolidates like the messages, you know, and and it's another form of expression, um, the visual arts that, um, you know, when we're talking about music, like to me, like the visual arts are also just as much a part of that. When I'm making a record, I'm also dreaming about, uh, you know, the rest of the project, the album artwork and who can I work with and we're like oftentimes the album's not anywhere near written or completed and I'm working with another visual artist who, sorry, I'm not a visual artist, but working with a visual artist on um, the concepts and, and she's getting, he or she's getting the, the creative stuff out of me so they can, they can help get the um, essence across for the album or the songs. And I just think so often like we, we, uh, we, we skip on, in the arts, like we don't have the, the money for these kinds of things, and it's a shame. Yeah, so what's the solution there? I mean, to me, uh, Canada always gets this rep. I mean, having toured in the States, you know, the, that it's like it's the land of funding. But we know yeah. that that's still a challenge. We know there's lots of kind of public perception about funding that's like, oh, well, it's a handout or it's mm. uh, whatever, which is very yeah. funny to me because, you know, patrons existed back in the oldest days, sure, and yeah. of, which is where Patreon comes from. Yeah. Segway, I know you have a Patreon oh, right. page. Have a Patreon page. You know, yeah. so I'm curious your thoughts. You've clearly thought about it. You have a Patreon page. I'm yeah. sure you've had funding over the years. Yeah. What What's your, you know, as much as you can do a 360 on something like that, what's your thoughts on how all that works with you? Well, first of all, I just want to say, like, my friend Krista Keogh just uh she started a podcast called Granted, and she talked uh, on there this uh, first season, which was a big success with um, Fiona Brooks. And Fiona mentions how you know she hates the word grant, and uh, uh, because it really is an, an investment, um, and we should see it that way. And I've always felt like every bit of money that I've uh, applied for and, and received, I've taken it so seriously. Like I, it, it, it's mostly going to other people. It's mm -hmm. not going into my pocket, mm -hmm. and I have to come up with more on my end to, I, you know, uh, to finish the project. Um, but it's creating work and creative work that's meaningful. Um, we're creating uh, pieces of work that resonate with people that are a reflection of the times and our culture. Um, you know, when we go to tour and get an investment money for a tour to go to Europe. We're representing Canada and Nova Scotia and we're sharing our stories and we're taking back stories over there. So we're building like international friendships through that. Like it's this whole big investment on just based like, I hate to sound cheesy, but like making the world a better place. Um, stories have healing power and the stories are in the art. Uh, so, you know, obviously I feel it's important. Um, now, that doesn't mean that, like, we make uh, paying for art uh, and for a, what a creator does a priority. So if I think you have, uh, you know, wonderful restaurants and, and, uh, and gastropubs, like, coming up, like, I think uh, people sometimes are more likely to spend, obviously, first on food and drink. And that's a really important part of our culture as well. Um, it just seems like, you know, but 
paying for the ticket to, you know, for the artist that's playing at the pub um, might come like mm-hmm. on the priority list. It might come a little bit later, not for everybody, mm-hmm. but like we're just kind of wired to like, let's let's pay for, you know, these things first. And uh, we can find music for free. We can find art for free. And I wish it was free for everybody, but like the creators still need to make a living and be healthy. Right. Um, so they need to be paid, I think. And, and Patreon is a wonderful platform um, that is, I, I think, a great solution to how artists can and creators can get paid. Uh, and when I saw, you know, my livelihood um, uh, really was the was at risk uh, threatened by just the 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 way that people are consuming music um, and paying for music has changed as you know um and it was affecting my revenue and my my livelihood and so um one of the things i decided to look take a serious look at is yeah how can i how can i find different revenue streams because i want to keep doing what i'm doing and um I feel like the work's important, not that it's more important than anybody else's, but uh, I, yeah, I just feel it's important um, to keep trying. And uh, I, so I looked into Patreon, and for me, uh, it's, it's sort of a long-term gain. Um, it's working for a couple of reasons. So I've set up my Patreon so that it's in line with my goals as a creator to do more of that, to create more. So I didn't want to become like a slave to the Patreon where I was promising all these different things. And it was taking me further away from the goal to get better as a, as a writer, as a singer, as, um, someone who, um, collaborates with other creative, uh, people and releases more material. Cause over the, I knew, I know that at the end of my life, I, I would like to have a, a body of work, I don't know if it'll be the best work every year, but there will be that body of work. And, and in that body of work, there'll be stories and meaningful connections and there'll be healing and uh, all that stuff. So that's how I set up my Patreon to kind of support that in me, um, that desire to keep creating. Um, and so I think I only I only launched in January. It's really just the first year and I have 16 patrons um, from around the world, and uh, and it's been really cool. Um, you know, it, it's it's just it's, I'm in it for the long haul. So if if you know we get a couple more uh, patrons that want to support music and what I do and what Dale does, um, in that way they can. Like I I think it's important to to learn um, where I've had to learn how to ask. Uh, for what I need and if you ask and you are not finding that it's coming back then maybe you do have to find another way to do things yes you know like that's kind of what I told myself and so I'm trying this and many other things um uh, I shouldn't say many other things I mean really I'm just uh we tour you know that's that's one of the ways that we uh, get the music out, but it's also how we earn revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, we still sell some physical merch, CDs, vinyl, and we still try to make that stuff available and we stream our music. And, yeah. uh, you know, like just because uh, it's just another, it is another way that more people can hear the music and the messages and, and get to know you. And then I really believe that like your true fans and supporters, if they can, 
when you if you ask and or make it available, they will want to support you if they can. And if they can't, they and will. that's a key word too. I think is is the true fan side of things. I mean, ten thousand mm-hmm. true fans or a thousand true fans, whatever thousand, right? Thousand true fans, yeah. ten thousand hours. All the cliches mixing them up. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's it's for reals, right? Like that's a real thing, and mm-hmm. and we we've all met those people that you know. There's lots of people who have come and probably enjoyed your music over the years, but the, every now and then you meet those people that you're like you could put out the Christina Martin toaster and they would buy it, you know, uh, and not, not That's just because idea. they want you, us. There yeah. you go. The toaster. Exactly. Can I'm you, thinking, can you imagine like hauling as a merch item toasters around in your car? Like forget, there's no room for the guitars, Dale. We're just, we, I have 50 toasters. We gotta, we gotta move. Exactly. These. Well, you, what you do is you sell them for an insane amount of money. So you're like, we only need to sell like five of these. Oh really. yeah. Okay. Limit exclusivity. But they're like $500 gold toasters. Yeah. And you're like, this was great. We sold five toasters, paid for the gas and the tour. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. I don't take anything <laughs> from me. I'm thinking of calling my fan club the Foster Children. So. Um, oh, my God, Ian. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> you're really good at coming up with these ideas. Like, I'm terrible. Like, CDs, vinyl. Like, I, like, I cannot for the life of me come up with a clever merch item for myself. And, and I... I, I it's just, uh, just I mean, stick to what the I last name Foster helps. There's just so many. <laughs> I'm a foster child merch T-shirts. I mean, yeah. would you wear one of those? You were, know, like, were you a foster child yourself? No, no, um, I wasn't. Well, I mean, I was because my dad's last name is Foster. So technically, right, you I'm actually a foster are child. a foster child. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You could. Did you say did you already say this? You could put out like a can and just put like foster foundation yeah like right? i could raise money for that charity and yeah. ruin my life when people found out yeah. about it yeah you don't just wait till the end of your life to put this episode out <laughs> and maybe you could pull it off and i'll be like big life reveal featuring christina martin on the final mm-hmm. episode of yeah, yeah i like that um huh. so so the patreon thing i think uh, something that i've tried to um tried to think about lately because I struggle with this and I feel like you do because we've mm-hmm. talked about it uh, and most artists do is is that like that self-awareness and how to we're all very self-aware but like how to reconcile that you know like when we're about to do something like yeah. when you're about to go on tour and you want to book a certain kind of show or put out a certain kind of music or yeah. whatever it is it's it's a struggle you know it's it's you're trying to see yourself and understand yourself, you know, and what you're doing. And for me, lately, I've just been trying to think of it as cheesy as this sounds as the golden rule, right? It's mm. sort of like how I'm a fan of music. That's how I became a musician. Yeah. And thinking about Patreon as this as this sort of applies, um, I think about like there's certain artists and it's not a ton of artists, but there's, you know, maybe a dozen that like I will buy everything that they put out. I just love what they do. I love everything about them. Yeah. So like why wouldn't you or I or whoever create the opportunity for that person to engage with you directly, you know? I think yeah. it's a great thing, you know? Yeah, and you never know. I mean, you know, if 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 the support isn't uh, coming from directly, you know, in your let's say it's not coming from your community uh for whatever reason like um, you know, we tour quite a bit in Europe and we're going across Canada uh, this year. Um, you know, you might find uh, there's always like a new fan who is going to hear something that you've done and go, you know, like that, that resonates with me. Um, and I like what you do and I want to I want to support. I want to see you keep keep going. Um, you might find them in, you know, the, like the, just the middle of buff fuck nowhere. Uh, like. 
I've just, I'm always, there's always surprises like on the road, if you're open to it, if you see it that way, you know, like certainly I've gone through times in my career where I, I felt really discouraged about almost everything, like, because I carried, I think, certain expectations and maybe they weren't met or weren't happening fast enough or I just was disappointed by X, Y, and Z. And, um, and I, luckily I stuck with it and, and you know, like, uh, uh, I'm a resilient person, like uh, I'm a fairly optimistic person, but, um, you know, I've come around to just like, uh, just being, I think more open to this idea that there's, if you, if you feel like there's meaning in what you do, I'm not saying it's always going to work out. Like, <laughs> as you brought that up earlier, that <laughs> you had a guest that mentioned that that may not be the case. And, um, but whatever, I'm at this place where I, I, if there's something in the work that you do, whether it's writing a song or a painting, painting a picture or, um, you know, you could be like an incredible uh, bank manager that just helps people through the day. Um, if there's meaning in your work and you stick with it uh, and you have an open attitude, like uh, just, you'll, you know, you will be taken care of if you just do, if you do the work, it's a little more complicated and strategic yeah. than that. But I mean, that, that's <laughs> but, uh, very nice, but let's talk but, about yeah. the sad stuff again. No, yeah. I'm just okay, kidding. Let's, I'm yeah, just let's kidding. Get um, but uh, did you read Amanda Palmer's book on, um, I can't remember the title and I don't have my phone on me right now, but, uh, and it's essentially how she, her journey and learning how to ask. And, and sure. she's, uh, she's got this incredible career and she wasn't popular. You know, she wasn't like the it band and, um, uh, but she developed these real connections with people by going out and doing the, the hard work and face to face and, and then online, like just develop this incredible network, um, is still going strong and building. And, I, I, that was a really good read for me because before, even before that, I was still sort of in my mind, you know, I had heard from people back when like Kickstarter and Indiegogo's were starting up, like a lot, a lot of the attitude was like, um, that these kind of, uh, campaigns were begging artists, begging for money. And, you know, when you're hearing that message from people in the industry and stuff like it kind of makes you feel, yeah, self-conscious about totally. putting your own campaign out and, and, um, I think the attitude about that has changed quite a bit now, obviously. Like, we see a number of successful, not just artists, like, tons of creators and businesses now. Um, it's part of their business plan, you know? It's yeah. it's part of all of our business plans. Which plan. was always sort of there, like, you think about things that were, like, devices that were created mm -hmm. that were Kickstarter items. But that just goes in line with the fact that, like, any you know, any research that's ever been done is always done on a research grant or a research mm -hmm. application. Like it's yeah. still the same, you know, a business is a startup that gets a funding to start up yep. in many cases. Like yeah. it's all the same model. I think there's just this different expectation for artists because I don't know, it's maybe there's a romanticism involved there. Um, I don't know. What do you think it is? Uh, I really don't know. I mean, I, su I suppose, uh, you know, there's that kind of myth, the myths of like, well, there were quite a few artists that, you know, were perhaps hard up um, and, and and never really made it until they died and lived in hardship and, and suffered for their art. Um, I don't even know enough about them. I mean, I just know that, you know, Van Gogh was like, 
pretty hard up and, and lived with mental illness. And his brother was his patron, Theo. And uh, he looked after him when he, you know, when he could. But he had, you know, a fairly uh, tragic ending to his life. And his work never became, didn't become uh, world famous until, you know, after his death. And, I mean, yeah, I think uh, just there's that old-fashioned idea that you got to be a starving artist to be... I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm working to be the health, a healthy artist. And, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't care what other people think, but I think my work, because I work at it and it's, is getting stronger. I mean, it makes sense to me that the more you do something, practice and, uh, you know, hone your craft, like that you will, you will gain strength and grow. And, um, I like to feel good. I like to feel healthy. I, I've never written anything under, um, you know, when I didn't, when I was, uh, uh, I've never written anything under the influence. Well, there was one song actually that I did, but uh, of any drugs. Um, I've never been able to write when I was really down, like mm. a really rock bottom. Mm -hmm. It was always coming out of it and feeling healthy. Mm -hmm. And I think singing and writing, I'm sort of changing the subject now, but um I guess this is just all trying to de demystify or like these ideas that you have to be strung out or hard up. Like I, I can't work in that way. I no, I think that you know, there's obviously going to be an element of truth to if you've if you've had a dynamic experience, we'll call it, with life, mm. then you're going to probably be a more empathetic and compassionate person on a you know, not that people who haven't can't be compassionate, but you'll, they you you may maybe you, exactly <laughs> you you will have experienced uh, you'll have experienced those things, and yeah. then you'll you'll understand more viscerally when you watch someone else go through it, and maybe when that comes time to tell their story, you'll be yeah. able to tell it more in a more real way. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that. So when you asked me earlier, like, what was little Christina like? Like little Christina was, you know, pretty self absorbed and, and selfish and bratty. I think too. And um, I, Dale's shaking his head, nodding. He's nodding and he's like, yes, I did. I, I see it now. All these years later. It makes sense. I it took this podcast yeah. for the scales uh -huh. to drop from my eyes. I can remember being, you know, mean, like to some of my friends. Um, I didn't like sharing. I still don't like sharing uh, certain things. Dale's definitely nodding now. Um, but when we when we moved when we left like uh, so we lived in Fredericton, New Brunswick for um, uh, you know that's where I went to kindergarten and elementary school and then we went to uh, we moved to Rasa, New Brunswick and so starting in a you know new kid in the area uh, got to take a new school bus and I remember my first day on the school bus and there was a girl on the bus and I was looking for a place to sit and. She wouldn't let me sit next to her. I believe she actually moved over to block the seat. And she might have said something to me, but it always stuck with me um, uh, because uh, it was a couple of weeks later. She clued in that I lived in the big mansion up on the hill uh, from where the school bus stopped. And I remember she, she this one day I walked on the bus and I was going past her and she, she moved over. She said, no, you can sit here. So you live in that house up on the hill. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I remember, like, there's something in me that I just recognized that the only reason that she invited me to sit with her was because she thought that I, 
you know, was was uh, was a better off because I lived in this big house. Um, that uh, that there must be something, or maybe that I had money or something in my family. Um, but I was the same person. I looked the same. Uh, and then she started, you know, talking to me, and I I do remember like knowing the difference between like, okay, this person isn't genuine, or her intentions are like. Mm-hmm. Although I didn't have the words for that, but I knew I was like, this isn't going to be my best friend. You had good friend. intuition even then. Yeah. Yeah. You were perceptive. Well, I was always on guard, that's for sure, as a little girl. And, and I think that comes from my trauma uh, with my dad. I was always, uh, from from the trauma with my dad, I, I, I always had, I developed a very strong uh, spider sense, um, always on guard. And that's you know, it's kind of sad that you have to go through a trauma at a young age to develop that so, you know, so young. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I remember telling, uh, talking to Dale about this not long ago. I really think it's it's uh, saved me in a number of situations throughout my life, but it's kept me safe, and um, it's helped me, yeah, problem solve quick. Mm-hmm. You know, when I became a world traveler and even today on tour, um, I'm always thinking ahead. I don't want things to go bad. I want to. I want to feel good and safe, and um, and I'm I'm careful about who's around me. You know, my my friends who I spend a lot of time with. Um, so yeah, I think I'm 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 in some regards grateful for that. But uh, but I I did learn when I when I moved and had no friends and had to you know get meet new people. Uh, we moved a couple times when I was young uh, because of uh, uh, stuff that was going on with my dad. And I learned that, well, for one, you you have to open up to people and be nice. You mm-hmm. can't be <laughs> you can't be mean to people. No one likes an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you know you learn from other people who are nice to you, like that open themselves up and get want to get to know you genuinely. And you learn that that feels good, and mm-hmm. you want to be more like them. That's the end of part one. Tune in next week for part two of my conversation with Christina Martin. Like and subscribe to this podcast on all your favorite podcast apps and share it the world over. Thanks so much. See you next week.